Before we do our fireside chat this morning, I want to just take a, a moment and pause and pray for what's happening in our world today. I'm sure you're watching every now and then uh, what's happening overseas. Uh, I, I want to, as your pastor, remind you to always keep your eyes to the sky and always pay attention to what's happening on the world stage. I have never seen things lining up like they are right now, and I, I don't want to scare anybody this morning. As Christians, believers who put our faith in Christ, we should never be afraid. We just sang about the mighty name of Jesus, but it is amazing what's happening with Russia and Ukraine, and how the West is powerless, how the East and the North and the East are joining together. Russia, the bear, and China from the East are uh, obviously in line together. And the, the talk this week uh, of, of them asking Israel to intercede and help in the peace talks shed a shiver up my spine. I can't imagine if Russia and China and the Western world gather for peace talks in the Middle East somewhere in Jerusalem is going to come out somebody who would bring peace to me, it sounds a lot like what we just preached through in Revelation, and so I don't know if that's the case. Uh, we could be here another thousand years, uh, but, I, but I will say I've never seen things aligning like they are today. And in all of that, not to bring any fear or worry to your heart and soul, just watch as believers keep watch, and let's pray for people. In the midst of all this, there are just people. Uh, moms uh, trying to get children to safety. And so this morning, that's what my prayer will be focused on. Even so come, Lord Jesus, right? Even so come. If, if that's the case and this is toward the end, then, then come, Lord, come. Uh, but if not, right now we pray for those that are caught in the middle of all of this. Let's just pause and pray. Father, we come to you on behalf of people. Some are believers, maybe some don't know you at all, but Father, we come on behalf of people. They're created in your image, and so Father, as, as image bearers, we pray for them and their safety. God, we pray that uh, today as people take up arms and defend their cities and mothers and children flee, not knowing if they'll see their husbands or sons again. God, we don't, we, it's hard for us to comprehend. Father, there are those in our audience who have served our country and they've seen danger like this, but many of us have not. So God, help us to just be on our knees praying for peace. God, I pray for uh, evil not to win, but uh, for good to overcome. And so, Father, we pray for those today that are scared, uh, going without food and water, not knowing where their shelter is. God, we pray for them. God, refugees, these are people that are fleeing and no cause of their own from their homeland. Help there to be people who take up refugees and take them in and care for them. As your scripture declares, as a blessing for those who care for those in desperate need. So we pray on behalf of Ukraine today. We pray for those affected. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Felt right to come home after a vacation and do a little fireside chat. Every time I come home, I feel like it's time to reset. Where, where are we at? Uh, I've been gone for two Sundays. Don't forget that uh, both of, uh, or one of the Sundays that I missed was for speaking uh, up at Camp Barakel. And I thank you as a church for allowing me to do that. Uh, we have a set number of Sundays that I can be gone to speak. And I enjoy every one of those. It's wonderful for me. It's refreshing for me. Uh, hopefully you as a church also enjoy getting to hear from other people. And so I thank Jeff, I thank Pastor Ben uh, for preaching for us the last two Sundays. I won't talk about 
how nice the weather was where I was, but it sure was wonderful. And thank you for allowing your pastor a break. I'm telling you, COVID uh, and all these last months, it's been a lot. There's been a lot happening here in Oxford and all that we've done for that. It's been a, a long, grueling ride. And so I thank you for a week uh, to get away. The Lord blessed us with complete sunshine and it was wonderful. The golf, he, he cursed me there, but that's okay. It's better to golf horribly on a beautiful day than it is to shovel snow. So, And once again, I don't know why we live here. Driving north, I was in behind the wheel 15 hours yesterday, and as we got in southern Ohio, I thought, why does anybody live north of here? Uh, but we do. And uh, as Doug reminded us today, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. It's just a little harder, but we should do it. What's going on here at Oakwood? Next Sunday is a powerhouse Sunday. Do not miss next Sunday. Next Sunday we get to do a, a, a triple, a, a trifecta of wonderful things. One of my favorite things is baptizing people. Uh, some new believers, but some that have uh, been believers and never taken the step of obedience and baptism. We have a number of people of all different ages being baptized next Sunday. Now, there's still time. If you haven't never been baptized by immersion and you would like to take care of that, let the office know. We can still get that interview. It does require an interview. Sit down with me in a, so I can hear your story, your journey with Christ to know that you're a, a saved person. We don't baptize anybody for salvation, but those that are saved, should follow the Lord in believer's baptism. And so we're doing that next week for many people. That's a joy uh, to do that. And then we get to take in new members. If you have been attending Oakwood and you're interested in becoming a member of Oakwood, we encourage you to do that. Take that step. Go all the way in. Requires three things uh, to attend Discover Oakwood. That's an after-the-service luncheon that we explain who we are, what we're about, and our beliefs. We encourage you to do that. You need to have a testimony of your faith in Jesus Christ. Christ, and then you have to have been baptized by immersion. Those, those things qualify you then to uh, uh, be a member of Oakwood. Those all come again. You have to sit down with a, a conversation with me so I can hear that story. One of the best privileges of being a lead pastor is to hear these stories. I love hearing your journeys with Christ and how God uh, brought you, some of you, back to faith. Uh, how many of you accepted him as a young child. There's just so many neat stories that I love to hear. But we're bringing in new members, and then we're doing a child dedication. And I say that with a asterisk by it. We do child dedication differently here at Oakwood. We don't think we can do anything spiritual for a baby or a child. We just can't do anything spiritually for a child. Uh, those decisions are made by a person who is, is old enough to understand and make that commitment on their own. So instead of dedicating a child to the Lord, we're actually dedicating the parents to raising that child in the Lord, giving them every opportunity, and we're dedicating us as a church to step in alongside those parents. So it's actually a, a church-wide dedication of parents and us as believers to give that child every opportunity to know Christ and to be raised uh, to, to love him. And uh, in doing so, we'll pray a blessing over that child. That's another fun thing. It's a trifecta. I look forward to it. I'm excited about next Sunday. So don't miss. Um, I saw the report was on my desk. Haven't read it yet. We didn't get into close to midnight last night. So haven't read the report, but I think uh, most of that's happening in the 11 o'clock service, um, not to disappoint you, but we will put a video together of everything that takes place, and we will have a recap video we'll show the 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock next, or the following Sunday, so you can all see it. Everybody say, got it? Got it. I think you do. 
I hope you do. I uh, need to remind you that we're uh, supposed to be uh, working toward that House of Providence event that's happening, I believe, in April. I shouldn't be guessing, right? It's in April, I think. Um, and so we need you to, to doing some donating of goods and services for the auction. Be thinking about that. I'll try to send more things to you via email uh, and text so that you can remember about that. We want to help House of Providence. We're doing that by helping a senior at Oxford with their, uh, what's that called? That uh, What's that called? Capstone. The Capstone Project for a senior at Oxford. So we'll keep that in front of you, keep reminding you, but uh, we need to get on that. Finally, I want to say this, and don't, don't, take this wrong in any way, uh, but I do want to remind you that when I'm on vacation, I'm, I'm trying not to look at emails and text. I got a hundred of them last week from Oakwood, uh, and, and if they looked important, I, I would read them. Uh, you know, I want to make sure if somebody dies, I know about it, uh, <laughs> or, or something of that nature, but um, if I'm away, don't expect an immediate response. Um, and so it, don't be upset at me if you like, he didn't text me or didn't email me back. Um, when I'm away, I need to try to be away and focus on my family in that time. So hope you understand that. But the, with that comes an opportunity to remind you as a church, as the lead pastor here, I have nothing to do with the building and tables and chairs. Uh, a lot of people call me like, PD, I need chairs for the 25th of October of 2025. I don't know how to check out chairs and tables. I really don't. I've never done it. Um, and so you can tell me, and I guarantee you, I'll forget. And then when you come to get them, the people in charge of the church will actually look at you and say, didn't you call ahead of time? I talked to PD. That means nothing. Talking to me on a Sunday, you're just, mm, you're just talking to a blank face. If I can finish preaching twice and still stand up, it's a good day. And so uh, tables and chairs and building, those kind of things, I love y'all. And, and it's just, uh, there's a mentality that the pastor owns the church. I don't own this church. I, I, I just come here. Uh, the people that run the church are in the office and they have folders that they open and they talk to people on the phone and write things down and put it on a calendar. It's amazing what they do. I don't do any of that. So uh, just a reminder, don't be offended by that, but you're getting nowhere by asking. If you do come to me and say, can I do this? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, please call the office. That's my answer because they're, they're the ones that take care of it. So that's just a good opportunity for us as a church to remember Pastor Don doesn't own the church. I'm not the CEO of the church. I'm, I'm one of the pastors here and uh, I don't even run the office very well. So uh, make sure you take care of business by calling them. Today at the end of our 11 o'clock service, there is a luncheon for those interested in or serving on the hospitality team. What a great opportunity to serve. Uh, it's a great first step, like at Oakwood, if you don't know a ministry you can be involved in, joining the hospitality team is a great way to do so. And so uh, Stephanie will be leading that meeting. I'll step in and say a few words to that team, encouraging them. But if you've ever thought about it, today would be a good day to come back, uh, have lunch, and sit through that meeting. Is that good, Stephanie? All right, wonderful. All right, what we're going to do is we're going to start a series. I say that dramatically because this series is going to last us for a couple of years. And now we're not going to go straight. We've got Easter. We'll stop for four weeks at Easter. We're going to stop during the summer for a couple of series. There's some breaks. But we are about to embark almost on another mini uh, Bible project. I mean, uh, remember how we went through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation? It took five years to do that. Uh, now we're going to embark on the book of Romans. And boy, do I encourage you to start reading Romans. Revelation, 
I was swimming in over my head. I, I don't know if you know that. Every day I got up here just praying you wouldn't catch me on stuff I didn't know. Uh, there's a lot in Revelations that are hard to understand. That was a hard book. The second hardest book in the Bible for me, and most pastors, honestly, is the book of Romans. Romans is so deep and steeped in theology and biblical truth. It's essential for the Christian faith, but it is very, very intricate. That's why we're going to take our time. As a church, we're going to go through verse by verse. Uh, we are definitely going to take our time and wade through the book of Romans, take it in chunks. I encourage you to be reading Romans. A good thing to do this week is to read the whole thing. It's only like 16 chapters, not too long. Um, you can get an audio on audio and let it, let it play for you and just listen to the whole thing. Then after that, I encourage you to just start reading Romans 1. If you really want to get into it for the next a uh, couple of months will only be in, in Romans 1 through at least chapter 4. So if you just want to keep rotating and reading slowly through Romans 1 and then through chapter 4, that would be a big help for you. Uh, today is just, we're, we're stepping our toe into this ocean of depth. Uh, we're going to do an introduction to the book of Romans. We're going to be looking at Romans 1. 1 through 7, those are, those are kind of introductory verses, so we'll take those verse by verse today, uh, but it is an overview day, and so to start our series out, I love the Bible Project people, they do great work, we're going to watch a seven minute video, um, don't zone out, okay, it's a, it's a great well done video, but it, nobody does a better job of recapping an entire book, and they're only going to recap 1 through 4 of Romans, it's so big and deep, so go ahead and roll that video this morning. Paul's letter to the Romans, it's one of the longest and most significant things ever written by the man who was formerly known as Saul of Tarsus. He was a Jewish rabbi belonging to a group known as the Pharisees, and he was passionate and devout to the Torah of Moses and the traditions of Israel. And he saw Jesus and his followers as a threat. But then he had a radical encounter with the risen Jesus, who commissioned him as an apostle, like an official representative, to the world of non-Jewish people called Gentiles in the Bible. And so he started going by his Roman name, Paul, and he traveled all around the ancient Roman Empire telling people about the risen King Jesus and forming his followers then into these new communities called churches. And Paul would occasionally write letters to these new Jesus communities to help them foster their faith or answer questions. And the book of Romans is one of these. It was actually written quite late in his career. Now, we know from the book of Acts that the church in Rome had existed for some time, that it was made up of Jewish and non-Jewish followers of Jesus. But at one point, the Roman emperor Claudius had expelled all of the Jewish people from Rome. And then about five years later, all of those Jews, including Jesus-following Jews, were allowed to return. And when they did, they found a church that had become very non-Jewish in custom and practice. And so this created lots of tension, so that by Paul's day, the Roman church was was divided. People disagreed about how to follow Jesus. They were debating about whether non-Jewish Christians should celebrate the Sabbath or eat kosher or be circumcised. And so Paul wrote this letter to accomplish a few things. He wanted this divided church to become unified and for a practical purpose. He was hoping that the Roman church could become a staging ground for his mission to go even further west all the way to Spain. And so these circumstances are what motivated Paul to write out his fullest explanation of the gospel, the good news that he was announcing about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Now, the letter is designed to have four main movements, but it's unified as one long-flowing exploration of the gospel. 
the gospel, Paul says, first of all, reveals God's righteousness. And then it also creates a new humanity, which fulfills God's promise to Israel. And so it's this gospel that's going to unify the church. In this video, we're just going to explore the ideas in chapters 1 through 4. So Paul opens by introducing himself as an apostle appointed by God to spread the gospel about Jesus, how he's the Messiah of Israel who was raised from the dead as the Son of God, King of the nations. And Jesus now calls all humanity to come under his loving rule. And Paul says this good news about King Jesus is, first of all, God's power to save people who trust in him, and second, that it reveals God's righteousness. Now, Righteousness is a rich Old Testament word for Paul. It describes God's character, that he always does justice, what is right and what is good, but also that he is faithful and just to fulfill his promises. And Paul's saying that the story of Jesus shows how God has done both of these things. How? Well, he goes first into a long creative retelling of Genesis chapters 3 through 11. He shows how all the Gentile world, all the nations, have become trapped in the spiral of sin and selfishness. The human heart and mind are broken, Paul says. We've turned away from God to embrace idolatry, which means finding ultimate significance in created things and then giving ultimate allegiance to these things that are not God. This results in a distortion of our humanity and destructive behavior. And so what's left is a humanity that stands guilty as charged before a just and righteous God. To which the people of Israel might say, well, it's a good thing then that God chose our people out from among the nations. He saved us out of slavery in Egypt. He gave us the laws of the Torah, like the Sabbath and eating kosher and circumcision. And these all together show us how to live as God's holy people. But, Paul says, not so fast. He recalls the storyline of the Torah and of the rest of the Old Testament, which shows that Israel was just as sinful and idolatrous and morally broken as the rest of humanity. Israel is actually more guilty than the Gentiles, Paul says, because they have the Torah. They should know better. And so, Paul concludes, all humanity, Gentiles, Israelites, are hopelessly trapped and guilty before God. But that is not the final word. The good news about Jesus is God's response. Instead of holding humanity guilty, Jesus came as Israel's Messiah to die on behalf of all people as a sacrifice for sins. As our representative, Jesus took into himself all of the just consequences of the pain, the sin, and the death that we have caused in the world. And he overcame it all by his resurrection from the dead. It's his new resurrection life that he makes available to others. Jesus became what we are so that we might become what he is. And all of this, Paul says, is how God justifies those who trust or have faith in Jesus. Now, justification is another rich Old Testament term for Paul, and it's related to God's righteousness. It literally means to declare righteous. Because of what Jesus did on our behalf, we are given a new status before God. Instead of finding us guilty, God declares that a person is in a right relationship with him and is forgiven. Justification results in a new family. The person who trusts in Jesus is given a place among God's covenant people. Justification also results in a new future, which begins a journey of life transformation by God's grace. And so all of these things about justification are God's gift to those who through their faith are in Christ. And so this leads Paul in chapter 4 to explore the huge implications that all of this has for who can be a part of God's covenant family. 
He goes back to the story of Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. Before any of the laws of the Torah were given to Israel, Abraham was justified or declared righteous before God. How? Well, God promised that Abraham would become a father of a large multi-ethnic family that would receive God's blessing. But he and his wife Sarah, they were really old. They had never been able to have children. But nonetheless, Abraham had radical faith and trust in God's promise. And so God declared him to be righteous. And so Paul says, now Abraham has become the father of God's new covenant family. And it's spreading all around the world. It's made up of Jews and Gentiles who have the same kind of faith and trust in the one who fulfilled God's promise to Abraham, Jesus the Messiah. So let's pause and summarize Paul's main ideas here in chapters 1 through 4 because they're the foundation for understanding the rest of the letter. All humanity is hopelessly trapped in sin and needs to be rescued. That rescue, however, is not going to happen by people trying to obey the laws of the Torah. Rather, God's righteous character has moved him to rescue the world through Jesus' death and resurrection so that he could create that multi-ethnic family of Abraham based on faith as his own new covenant people. And so Paul's going to go on to show how this new family is a part of something much, much bigger that calls them to a whole new way of life together. But it's all going to be rooted in these core ideas explored in chapters 1 through 4 of Paul's letter to the Romans. All right. Four. Wow. I'm looking forward to this, nervous about it, but I am looking forward to delving into this wonderful book of Romans. Let me read for you Romans 1, 1 through 7 this morning, and then I'll make some points and we'll be on our way. Let's pray this morning as we start that. Uh, If you would just say this prayer, you don't have to say anything out loud, but if you would just give this prayer, God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. Can you just give that prayer to God? God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. To listen. And God, may you be glorified. May everyone hearing this be edified. And may Satan be horrified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me read Romans 1 1 through 7. Get these glasses on. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed to the, appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake that you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's just the beginning, and it's a normal beginning for a book, especially one of Paul's. I think Galatians and one other book doesn't have this format that we do. Um, it, it would sound something similar to Don, called to be a pastor, 
coming to you, the people of Oakwood Community Church. It's kind of a a prelude, kind of saying who the author is, who the audience is, and what we're going to talk about. And that's what these first seven verses really do reveal. We'll walk through this uh, kind of slowly this morning, but Romans, faith on a firm foundation, get used to that. Uh, I appreciate uh, Lance doing the artwork for us, but Lance promises us every three months or so he's going to change it up so you don't have to look at the same background all the time. Uh, but the first one's going to be this background with the, the Rome, uh, and, and hopefully by next week we'll have some pillars and rocks up here for your uh, pleasure. Uh, but the big idea for today is Romans... The gospel of God, as you saw in the video, we're going to be speaking about the gospel of God throughout the whole book, but the tagline for today would be, God's righteousness covers the sinner through faith alone. And there's a lot of of things in that little statement there that are very important theologically, but as we walk through this, it'll become more and more evident to you, but that's today's big idea, is the gospel of God. It's God's righteousness covering the sinner through faith alone. Let me give you a quick overview. Don't worry about this. I put it in your notes. I I only got a few things to fill in to keep your attention at the end of the outline today. I wanted you to have this instead of trying to keep up with filling in notes for this. Here's a basic overview. Now, I encourage you to pick up commentaries and other things as we go through Romans. It'll help you. It'll aid you in looking through this. And you'll see there are many ways that people, scholars, have cut and sliced Romans. Uh, But I like this one. I chose to use this one. The introduction is simply the first 17 verses, but then the second part is Romans 1, 18 through 4, 25, the gospel of God's righteousness explained. Everybody say explained. The third section is the gospel of God's righteousness experienced. Everybody say experienced. That's Romans 5 through uh, chapter 8. The fourth section of Romans, as you divide it out, is the gospel of God's righteousness defended. Everybody say defended. That's Romans 9 through 11. And then the fifth one would be the gospel of God's righteousness applied. Everybody say applied. You'll see this kind of an outline is what they were saying there, but I like how they really used it. God's righteousness, right? The gospel is about God's righteousness. It's about God's righteousness explained, experienced, defended, and applied to our lives. And then the closing or the conclusion is Romans 15 through 16. As you as you get a look at the book and you see the beginning and the end, that's why I encourage you to read all the way through chapter 16 at least once this week, is you'll see the opening, Paul called to be an apostle to the Romans, the gospel of God. He gives us who he is, what it's about, who it's for. But at the end, he gives some specific thank yous. And by the way, there are clues in those specific thank yous to people that tells us about when he wrote it and where he wrote it. There are other books of the Bible like Acts that then tie those pieces together. And so we learned through all of that extrapolation uh, some important things about the timing and where it was written. I'll get to that in just a moment. There are some main themes in the book of Romans we're going to touch. Law versus grace. Uh, Paul, as we know him, we call him mostly Paul. That's his Gentile version of his name. His Jewish version of his name is Saul. Uh, and when he was with the Jewish people, he often referred to himself as Saul. When he was with uh, the, the Greeks or the non-Jewish people, he would refer to himself as Paul. Uh, it, it's just kind of how they would understand him. Uh, but he often talks about law versus grace because he came out of the Pharisees. 
the Pharisees were very much about rules, rules, rules. And so Paul came out of that and, and then speaks of God's grace. Uh, before, he was a defender of law only, and he didn't believe that the Gentiles could be saved. He was a zealot as far as protecting the Jewish faith, but then something happened we'll talk about in just a moment. So law versus grace we'll talk about. Legalism versus antinomianism, we're going to talk about that. Don't worry if you don't know the definition of antinomianism. You can look it up on Google. Three, we're going to be talking about during this whole series, supersessionism, which is basically replacement theology. Uh, When I say the, the waters are deep here, like the book of Revelations, the waters are very deep in the book of Romans. And uh, today, one of the leading things, I think it's a, it's a non-truth, uh, I think it's damaging to our faith, are people that believe that there is no such thing as the Jewish people anymore. They have been replaced by today's Christians. We're going to talk and see that Paul very clearly does not teach that. Um, I, don't, I do not believe that God has forgotten about his chosen people. I believe in order for him to be a just God, he needs to do what he says he's going to do. And so I believe, as Paul believes, that God will continue his promises and everything that was promised to the Jewish people. So I do not believe in supersessionism. We'll talk about that in there. He's going to talk about original sin. He's going to talk about justification by grace alone. Again, the definition was good on the video. Justification. Just if I had never sinned. Justification. Just as if I'd never sinned because God declares me holy. And so we're going to talk about how that's by grace alone, not by law, not by works. Talk about sanctification in the book of Romans. Sanctification is different than justification. Justification is that one time where God declares you holy. As a, as a righteous judge, he, he slams the hammer down on the table and says, I declare you righteous. And then we spend the rest of our lives becoming righteous, right? And so those two things sometimes sound like they're in conflict, but they're not. God declares us righteous because of what Jesus has done. And because of that grace, we then spend our lives becoming more like Jesus. That's the process of sanctification. What is the Romans impact? Again, as an overview, I wanted to to talk to you about how historical this book is and and what it's meant. And so I brought my little notes this morning because I want to read for you how it's changed the world and it's changed Christianity, this one writing of Paul. Paul wrote many letters, but in the book of Romans, he set out to put together the clearest definition of the gospel. And in it, it's a masterpiece of work. I'm going to start with how it has affected us. And it starts with Augustine or Augustine. Sometime in the year 386, Augustine was in Milan. While outdoors, Augustine heard the voice of a child singing a song, Tole Logo, Tole Logo, Tole Logo, the words of which are, pick it up and read it, pick it up and read it. He thought at first the song was related to some kind of children's game, but could not remember ever having heard such a song before. Then realizing that this song could be a command from God to open and read scriptures, he located a Bible, picked it up, opened it, and read the first passage he saw. It was from the letter of Paul to the Romans. Augustine read Romans thirteen, thirteen, and 14. Not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual excess or lust, not in quarreling and jealousy, rather put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the desires of the flesh. 
In Augustine's own words, he said, I wanted to read no further, nor did I need to. For instantly, as the sentence ended, there was infused in my heart something like the light of full certainty and all gloom of doubt vanished away. Before this, he was a a brilliant teacher of literature and, and rhetoric. He lived a licentious life though, but this changed his life. Augustine went on to be the great father of the early church. Later, in the Reformation period, a man that was radically transformed by the book of Romans, you might have heard of him, his name was Martin Luther. Martin Luther, his own comments. I greatly longed to understand Paul's epistle to the Romans, and nothing stood in the way but that one expression, the justice of God. Because I took it to mean that justice whereby God is just and deals justly in punishing the unjust, my situation was that although an impeccable monk, I stood before God as a sinner, troubled in conscience and had no confidence in my merit would assuage him. Therefore, I did not love a just and angry God, but rather hated and murmured against him. Yet I clung to the dear Paul and had a great yearning to know what he meant. Night and day I pondered this until I saw the connection between the justice of God and the statement that all shall live by faith. Then I grasped that the justice of God is the righteousness by which, through grace and sincere mercy, God justifies us through faith. Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through the open door into paradise." the whole scripture took on a new meaning. Whereas before the justice of God had filled me with hate, now it became inexpressibly sweet in greater love. This passage of Paul came to me a gate to heaven. Most certainly Luther would come back uh, again in our, uh, I'm sorry, most certainly we will come back to Luther again in our study as the book of Romans transformed his entire ministry. Luther would go on to write a commentary on the book of Romans which would lead to the transformation of another minister, John Wesley. Are you still with me? Everybody say yes, PD. Sometimes we got to go a little deeper, so stick with me. We're going to do this. So John Wesley's heart was strangely warmed at an evening meeting on Aldersgate Street as someone read aloud Martin Luther's preference to the book of Romans. Now, I'm going to just stop there to interject. I'm trying to go quickly here. We got Augustine who was changed by two verses in the book of Romans. That so impacted his life that it then went on to impact Martin Luther's life. Martin Luther wrote a commentary on the book of Romans, which, by the way, there must not have been much nightlife and activity because they gathered on the street corner as somebody read the prologue to the commentary. What a great night. Can you imagine grabbing your wife or your husband? Hey, we're going to go out tonight. What are we going to do? We're going to go down to uh, 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 Burke's, uh, what is, what's the name of the street in our town? Burdick, yeah, Burdick, there you go. I'm, I'm in Savannah here. I'm talking about Broad Street. We're going we're gonna to go down to Burdick Street and somebody's going to read the, uh, the introduction to a commentary for us. I mean, that's, you talk about desperate entertainment. But as this young man, Wesley, went to hear the reading of Wes, or Luther's commentary, he says that night Wesley said that he went from faith of a slave to faith of a son. His 35 years leading up to that moment would later be described by him as the frosty and frustrated life of an almost Christian. John Calvin was changed by the book of Romans. He said this, when anyone understands this epistle, he has a passage open to him to understand the whole of Scripture. A man named Samuel Coolridge says, 
the most profound work in existence. Frederick Godet, 19th century Swiss theologian, called the book of Romans the cathedral of the Christian faith. And then Tom Pennington said this. I'm going to put it on the screen for us to look at today. For many years in the past, some of the finest law schools in the world used Romans as a textbook to illustrate how to construct a tight, logical argument that could not be undermined. The voices of the church are unanimous in holding up the beauty and the uniqueness of the book of Romans. Isn't that amazing? Some of our finest institutions would teach the book of Romans, not that they were believers, but they would read through the book of Romans to see how to put together a tight argument for a case. Lawyers have been brought up uh, cutting their teeth on the book of Romans to learn how to state a fact and back it up. And so Romans has still, I don't know if it's still used to this day, but I've heard it's still used today to teach lawyers how to stand up and make a tight case. That's what we're going to be reading about. And then I love this quote to end. I'll be done with the history. Romans speaks to us today just as powerfully as it spoke to the men of the first century. It speaks morally about adultery, fornication, homosexuality, hating, murder, lying, and civil disobedience. It speaks intellectually, telling us that the natural man is confused because he has a reprobate mind. It speaks socially, telling us how we are to relate to one another. It speaks psychologically, telling us where true freedom comes to deliver men from the burden of guilt. It speaks nationally, telling us our responsibility to human government. It speaks internationally, telling us the ultimate destiny of the earth and especially the future of Israel. It speaks spiritually, answering man's despair by hoping, by offering hope for the future. It speaks theologically, teaching us the relationship between the flesh and the spirit, between law and grace, between works and faith. But most of all, it profoundly beings, it, it profoundly brings God himself to us. Sorry, there must be a typo there. John MacArthur. I don't know if you've read John MacArthur's book on the book of Romans. What I found to be true is some of the great men of the faith have taken time to sit and write extensive, extensive works on the book of Romans. That's why I say as we wade into this, it's a heavy task. It's going to be deep. It's going to be important. And it speaks to so many issues that are relevant today. And by saying all of that, I, I want to challenge you to think about the author. <laughs> this morning, all I want to do is introduce you to the man, Paul. I'm going to tell you, most of our culture, even in Christianity today, has made the choice, and I hope you do not follow it, to say that Paul should be removed from the Bible. He's misogynistic. He's homophobic. He's all these things that, that just don't meet our cultures today. So I know many people, many believers that have grown up in the church that have come to a point in their Christian walk where they've said, oh, I love Jesus, but I just can't stand Paul. And so they have taken out all of Paul's work. Paul wrote more than half of our New Testament. I stand today to tell you we're going to walk through some heavy topics. We're going to talk about homosexuality because Paul talks clearly about homosexuality. You have a choice to make. You need to start considering the fact, is Paul God's messenger 
Or is he just some old dude from the past who has no clue what the world is like today? If you choose the latter and say he shouldn't be part of Scripture, let's only take the parts about Jesus and let's take out the parts about walking and truth and and what's right and what's wrong, what's just and what's unjust. If you want to take all of that out, there's nothing I can do to help you. I believe that you cannot take anything from Scripture. I believe that Paul is God's messenger and Paul was speaking truth, not just truth during his time, which so many Christians want to say. So many Christians would love to say Paul was only speaking to his day. So as he talks about things like women in leadership in certain passages, that only was good for back then. I tell you no. I tell you no. Anything that we hear in Scripture, we must take at face value. We must study and say this is God's Word. I cannot choose to trumpet with today's morality. If you choose to trump any of Romans or any of Paul's work with today's morality, you'll come to the conclusion that we must just avoid him. Because what he says is pointed and and, and clear. But I stand on stage to tell you that I'm going to preach through the book of Romans as Paul was God's mouthpiece. I encourage you to read through it and start making that decision of your own. You will find that in today's culture, which I have found, somebody who stands for God's word is God's word, and it shouldn't be interpreted uh, to today's morals. It shouldn't be moved to today's uh, decisions about certain topics. It stands alone, and it says what it says, and we should go by what it says and live by what it says. That's how I'm going to preach this. Who is Paul the man? Paul was a Pharisee. But God called him to speak the gospel to the world. He changed him on the road. In Acts chapter 9, I encourage you as a preface to reading through Romans, read Acts chapter 9 to get to know the man who wrote this. He was was set apart. Later we're going to read that. We read that in the first seven verses. He was set apart. He uses those words because Pharisees were thought to be set apart from all the rest of the scum of the world. They were set apart, kind of above everybody else. But now Paul is saying, I'm set apart, not better than anyone else, just a sinner like everyone else, but I'm set apart for the gospel. He was dramatic conversion. I've never heard of such a dramatic conversion. How many of you have been knocked to your knees and a holy light from heaven comes down and, and Jesus Christ makes you an apostle? He was declared an apostle by Christ to preach the gospel. So who's Paul's master? I I should probably go back and look at these verses because these come out of there. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. What is he saying? He's talking about his dramatic conversion. And who's his master? Paul continually refers to Christ Jesus throughout the book of Romans. That's who his master is. He is a slave of Christ Jesus, not in the sense uh, that we often think of what a slave is, uh, but, but through, I want to find the words so I don't mess them up, a bondservant, which means slave, subordinate, obligatory, and responsible nature of his service, an exclusive, exclusive relationship to his Lord. Paul sees that he owes his whole life and being to Jesus Christ. 
and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's who he's a slave of. So we got Paul the man, Paul's master, Paul's mandate. He was called to be an apostle. There's some confusion about that. I know that the original apostles all were called by Christ. And now this is after, again, it's about 57 AD when he's writing this. But he was called by Christ on that road to Damascus. That light came down, shined from heaven, and he heard the word of the Lord, making him an apostle. So he didn't have eyeball to eyeball with Jesus Christ in that sense. But he was called to be an apostle for Paul's mission set apart. For the gospel. Again, I talked about that. No longer set apart as a Pharisee above other people, definitely against anybody that wasn't Jewish. Now his mission is set apart for the gospel, for the Jews and the non Jews to hear God's wonderful plan. What's his message? It's the gospel of God. You see that. Set apart for the gospel of God. And then he explains the gospel. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture regarding his son who as his earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. He talks about the beginning of Jesus to the death of Jesus to the resurrection of Jesus. That's the gospel. That's what he's, Paul is going to be about. That is a nutshell of where we're at and what we're going to be talking about. I again want to encourage you to be thinking through the book of Romans, reading it, getting used to it, have questions about it. Uh, I, I know in our culture today, there's already strong man cases set up against what Paul says, uh, especially when it comes to homosexual and uh, sexual identity. Uh, but I will break those down and show you that those strong man arguments that the world gives are not true. Uh, when Paul's talking about homosexuality, he's not talking about it in the sense of, of uh, an older man taking a younger man as a slave. He's not referring to that. He talks about the act itself, both female and male, very clearly calls it unnatural. And so we will talk about issues like that. Those are tough issues in this world today. And they make, might make you uncomfortable because you would say, can't we change our message? Can't we just change our message? Because the world did a smart thing. The world said, if you say anything against it, then you're hateful. That's how they frame the whole argument moving forward. We're stuck with that. Um, I will say uh, that our, our world was very thoughtful like Paul was in promoting an argument, and their argument came to the fact that anybody who argues against this, saying it's wrong or a sin, is hateful. And they come from a place of hate. We're going to break all of that down for you. And so that we can call sin, sin. But we can also love people. We just met with our um, parents for the last six weeks. And we were talking about raising uh, children. Christ-centered parenting. And I gave them the illustration that we as believers want to raise children that aren't afraid to go against the flow of culture and say, I believe that that's wrong. I believe that's wrong, but I don't hate anybody. I don't hate you. I, I really do think we need to do away with the whole uh, hate the sin and love the sinner thing because hate's still a part of that equation. God hates sin. God gave everything to go against sin. We as believers, we ought to love people and we ought to stand for truth. And standing for truth shouldn't have anything to do with hate. It shouldn't. And so we want to raise children 
who can stand in a culture and say, I know this is unpopular, but I believe God's word is God's word, and so I believe that that is wrong. But that kid also, we need to raise that kid to be the first one in the lunchroom who sees a homosexual kid being bullied, who stands up and says, no, you don't do that because every person's made in the image of God. So we want to raise children today that can stand for truth and love people, amen? Is anybody with me? I don't think Paul hated people in the book of Romans. I think he spoke truth, and we've got to stop letting the world set the argument that if you state truth, you have to be of hate. I refuse to fall into that camp. I would love to be of the camp that says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God, for it is the power of God unto the salvation of everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Greek. And so we must know what sin is, because sin is that thing that separates us. So I'm praying that we as a church will all read through this and stand firm in the fact that truth is being spoken. Truth does not mean hate. Truth is truth. It's God's truth. But we as people don't have to live in hate. We can live in love and love everybody that's in the image of God, born in the image of God. Everybody bears the image of God. So we ought to be people of love. We ought to be people of truth. Without truth, people die in their sins. Paul's going to talk about that. So we all ought to take up the same kind of approach that Paul does in his book. Speak truth unashamedly. Stand on it firmly. But lovingly live. Lovingly live. Paul has a tough job ahead of him. As you already heard, the church is made up of Jewish believers and non-Jewish believers, and those people butt heads. Sounds familiar? Uh, our churches today are made of people that don't always agree on things. You might not agree with me on my already my introduction of where we're heading for the next several, several, several months, uh, but we're going to head into it in the fear of God, and we're going to read it and try to explain it. Let's pray. I'll have the band come and close us out with a song today. Father God, we thank you for just opening the book and just seeing about this man that you called to be an apostle, uh, this Paul, who comes from a, a deep Jewish background, but then realizes that your salvation is for all who would believe. God, we pray that through all of this series, we would understand no matter what is said and taught, it's all about faith. It's not about works. It's not about doing righteous deeds. It's all about faith in Jesus. I'm so thankful that Paul identifies himself not only as called by Jesus, but as a a slave to him. His whole life is about the gospel. God, help us to be like Paul. Help us to be totally, completely sold out to Jesus Christ. Help us to preach his gospel wherever we can, tell his truth unashamedly, and live in a world that just can't stand for truth. Father, I pray that we can be those kind of believers in Jesus' name. Amen.